oxygen and I was being administered high altitude meds intravenously about every hour. Yeah. Four men took a turn. One carried me. One carried the oxygen bottle. One carried a pack, and the other one rested while they carried me for 14 miles. These are the superheroes. They're the Sherpas. They're the indigenous people of the mountain regions of Kathmandu and Nepal, and they're pretty special, amazing people. How long did that journey take? Do you remember? I don't remember much. I wasn't. I wasn't too coherent at that point. I really didn't come back to the planet for about three or four days. I see. So of the known things that can happen during a climb, hape is one of those, of several, that you have to really watch out for, right? Yes, hape is one of the killers. I mean, there were four people or more, I'm not sure of the exact number, that died this year of hape alone. Of the same thing that I had, they died of hape. There's no rhyme or reason why people get it. Sherpas can get it. Climbing guides can get it. Fit people can get it. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with fitness. It just happens. Everest isn't so much about your climbing skill. There's harder mountains to climb that are much more challenging than Everest, but they don't have the altitude. What really gets you on Mount Everest is the altitude. The human body is not meant to live there, and you're basically just trying to trick your body to survive long enough and appease Chomolongma enough that she'll let you up to the top of the mountain and then sneak you back home safe. Right, and that's the uh, goddess that rules Everest? Yes, Chomolongma, the Nepali people, don't really call Mount Everest Mount Everest. It's named after Sir George Everest, who first surveyed it for the British Surveying Company. They call it Chomolongma, or Mother Goddess of the Earth, and they believe that all their life comes from Mount Everest. That's why they never climbed it. They thought it was rather sacrilegious to do it. You know, one of the things that I did was learning a lot about Everest while you were climbing, and uh, one of the things that really surprised me and explains a little bit probably why symptoms of any distress of any type are actually hard to recognize is you actually feel physically pretty awful during most of the climb, and that's a baseline. Is that correct? Yes. As the hate filled up my lungs when it was 50% full, I didn't notice anything because, yeah, I'm tired, yeah, I don't feel well, but I'm climbing Everest. It wasn't until it was like 80% full and my blood oxygen levels were unmeasurable that it happened. Can you talk a little bit about the altitude? So you made it up to Camp 3, right? And this is the, the last camp before people sort of make that, you know, run up to the summit and back. So you were really, what altitude were you at when you made it to? 25,000 feet was the highest we were. That was the last camp. That was the last camp that we put in. You then will take from 25,000 feet, when you're ready to do your summit attempt, you run up to Camp 4, which you don't really live at. You pretty much sleep there for a couple hours and then finally up to 29 so you go from 25 to 27,000 and then finally up to 29 and that, that's that was it it was pretty spectacular it was great I loved every minute of it yeah what was it like when you got that high what would I mean how did what was the weather like and what did you see when you were up there the wildest thing that I saw that impressed me the most when we were going over the South Coal it was cloud cover that day. So all you saw were shades of gray, shades of black, and shades of white. It was like looking at a black and white TV, but it's really color. It wasn't until you looked at your climbing partner and his colored gear that your eyes got the perception that you're actually looking at color. It was this amazing, amazing visual strangeness that I would say that I have to see that really made it wonderful. It was beautiful, spectacular. The skies at night, the most brilliant stars I've ever seen. 
satellites. You're watching satellites go by, and you know they're satellites because you can see the blinking lights. You can see the different colors on them, and you know they're not stars. It was incredible. It was just amazing. Other things, the sounds. Uh, we have some great footage of an avalanche. You hear them first. And you hear this loud crack and then this low rumble, and then you just watch tons and tons of snow fall down the mountain. And it's it's pretty spectacular. You feel very small. Yeah, I'm surprised it must have been scary too. Were you scared at times? Yes, yes. There's there's times when I was definitely scared. Would be lying if, you know, I said anything other. But it was more of an adrenaline scared. I know the community of people who climb Everest is pretty tight, although you were in your own group. So did you meet other people or were you seeing them during the climb or finding other people at the camps you were at? We met tons of people through the climb. We met people from all over the world, but it turns out the climbing guides, they all know each other because they might do a season on Everest, then they go do a season on Aconcagua. Then they come back to the States and they'll do you know, a season on McKinley in Alaska. So they all kind of know each other. They all come in and it's a very cowboy town kind of-esque, you know, when you're not climbing, you're drinking beer and telling stories and, you know, that kind of stuff and watching DVDs and, you know, my South Park DVDs never made it back, but it had the Sherpas laughing wonderfully watching South Park. <laughs> so you brought South Park DVDs. That's something I didn't know, actually, about the technology you were bringing. <laughs> Well, let me, before we switch over to you, Liz, I just want to ask a couple questions about how your recovery when you came home, because I want to find out a little bit about how long it took you to kind of feel like yourself again. Coming home was the toughest part. I mean, it, it wasn't, it was physically the hardest thing I've ever had to come back from. I came home and my blood oxygen levels were back to normal. They were back in the 80%, but a measure for your lungs is your tidal lung volume, how much air you can take into your lungs with one breath. Mine was only 50%. So my lungs were that of someone that should be in the hospital because they're suffering from emphysema. The way my pulmonologist described it to me, if I didn't know where you came from, I would put you in the hospital right now. And cocktails of steroids and expectorants and you know, every conceivable form of drug. Liz and I had one situation where I had a coughing fit one night that I shut my throat and I stopped breathing and she had to punch me to start me breathing again. You know, it was, it was very, very tough. I would get tired walking to go to the kitchen to make myself something neat. I couldn't do anything. And it went from being 150-something pounds from all the drugs, I blew up to 197 pounds. And you get joint aches. It was miserable. And... The real depressing part was I thought I'd never be able to play again. You know, Liz and I have talked a lot. You know, I want to get back into camping and mountains again, but for the fun. I mean, it became so driven to us to get ready for Everest that everything became a push and became, it lost its fun. It became more of the challenge and the drive and let's condition. I want to get back to playing. And the biggest depressing part was I thought I might not be able to play again, but now I can. Liz, I want to ask you a couple questions now. If listeners were here in the studio with us, they might have a, at least a visual hint about what um, brought you back from the mountain. So you had said, and it was you started your climb on March 18th, right? And so you were at base camp somewhere around mid to late April. What day did you come home exactly? I should have made it to base camp first few first week of April. Oh, okay. Right, and then I was there for a week when I had to turn back and head back home. Mm-hmm. So what happened? On April 8th, it was 
uh, we were having our puja, which is a blessing ceremony. Uh, the Sherpas decided on that day because they go by a lunar calendar. We woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning because we had to be start the ceremony before sunup. It was very cold, and we're all standing around watching the Lama do the ceremony and drinking this Chang, which is their, their version of beer. And, you know, it's very cold. The ceremony went on for a few hours, and I wasn't feeling quite right. Eventually, the ceremony was near coming to an end, and JJ called everybody, all the climbers and all our Sherpa support, over for a photo. And I didn't quite make it. I passed out right before I got to the where they were all gathering for the photo. And, you know, I'm not prone to passing out. I was acclimatized really well to the altitude. And, you know, they thought we'd better do some testing before we start heading up the Comboise field the following day. And we did. And it turns out that I found out I'm pregnant. So, obviously, that altitude isn't you know, the optimal place to be when you're pregnant, and I had to pack my bags and leave the following day. And we hiked out to Ferche, where we um, stayed overnight, and a helicopter picked me up and took me to Kathmandu. Wow, and so this was a total surprise to you. Completely. And uh, and so your baby is due now in just in a few three weeks. weeks. Three weeks. And uh, I understand you um, you have already chosen a name for the baby? Are you, oh, yeah, we decided on the name Tara which is a Celtic, and Celtic means stone crag or, or stone pillar. And for middle name, we're using the name Luann, which is Luann, Dr. Luann Freer, after her, because, you know, had it not been for her and her support, Joe wouldn't have made it back from base camp himself. So, yeah, we're doing it, you know, to honor her. Can you talk a little bit about how you felt emotionally? I imagine for both of you that the idea of having to leave, preparing to climb Everest is not a small Adventure. It sounds like it, you know you clearly put a lot of time, effort, resources, money certainly into this, and uh, and then for you to 